0: Well good morning church. Welcome to the first service of the year twenty twenty four. That's quite amazing, isn't it? Yes, happy new year. Why don't we greet one another saying happy new year to each other? Happy New Year. Well, some of you are like, who is this guy talking on the stage? Well, as Matthew mentioned, my, my name is Eric, and I run middle school here at North Langley Community Church, and I feel so, so excited to share the word of God with you this morning. A, a little bit about me. I was born in South Korea and came to Canada when I was in middle school. One funny story. When I just got to Canada, it was quite surprising to see how a lot of people at my school expected me to be fluent in English. I mean, really? (laughs) Well, here's a fun fact. Koreans don't speak in English in Korea. Surprise! (laughs) So there was no way I could communicate freely in English with my friends here. Sometimes they would speak so fast and I know many of you won't reson- resonate with me on this one, but sometimes they would ask me questions so fast, like, so, hey, Eric, how did your test go? I'm like, uh just staring at him. And then go like, no, yes, no. <laughs> You know, whenever they asked me questions so fast that I couldn't understand, my answer was either yes or no. I'm like, bro, I don't care if your question is open or closed, my answer is just gonna be yes or no. If you want my legit answer, you better speak slowly, man. Well, yes, they expected me to speak in English as fluent as they did. Now, the reason why I'm sharing this with you is to brag about my English now. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) The reason why I'm sharing this with you, the real reason, is is because I think whether you're an immigrant or born here, I think we all have this experience where someone, whether that's our parents, our friends, or partners, expect us to be who we are not. You know what I mean? It's it's pretty common, isn't it? And I want to tell you that Jesus was also expected to be someone that he is not. And that's what we're gonna see together this morning. So if you're new to Jesus today, welcome. I really hope that this could be an opportunity for you to get to know who Jesus is. And if you're already a Christian, welcome. I really hope that this could be an opportunity for you to deepen your understanding in Jesus. So let's turn our Bibles to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, if you have your Bibles with you, if you don't, that's totally okay because we have our verses on this screen. We're gonna cover from verse 31 to 43. Before now, we'll just read the first four verses. And here's what we do usually sun, every Sunday morning. So after reading the verses on the scriptures, I will say this is the word of the Lord and we all say thanks be to God. So here we go, verse 31. Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. On the third day, he will rise again. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them and they didn't know what he was talking about. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. So Lord, we thank you so much this morning for calling each and every one of us here to worship you, to be in your presence. God, we do pray that you would be present in the midst of us, Father, and invite us into your love, your mercies, and your joy and hope this morning. We thank you, we love you, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's dive in to the passage today. Well, today's story describes Jesus' final journey to the city called Jerusalem. And many of you know what's coming up in Jerusalem to Jesus. He gets crucified. So he calls the 12 disciples and he foretells his death to them. Well, Luke records Jesus foretelling his death three times in his book. And it's really interesting that in all three texts, Jesus refers himself as the son of man. Well, there were many other titles that Jesus could have used, but why the Son of Man? In the first century Jewish culture, the Son of Man was commonly understood as a title for the Messiah that's prophesied in the book of Daniel. The Messiah, by the way, means the Savior. And this Messiah was believed to bring salvation upon Israel. And it was in the middle of this messianic hope that Jesus came and claimed himself to be the Son of Man, that is, the Messiah. So every time Jesus foretelling his death, he refers himself as the Messiah. And what follows after this is really interesting. See verse 32, it says, For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. Now, this statement was so revolutionary and even unpleasant to the first century Jews. Let me explain by diving into Israel's history very briefly. Several centuries before Jesus, this country called Babylon arose in power. And they conquered Israel, capturing the people of israel into their country as war slaves we call this period the babylonian exile it was during this exile when israel's theology their thoughts and beliefs on the messiah began to develop significantly they started to believe in the messiah whom god would send and triumph over their enemies and liberate israel That's how they believed their Messiah to be. So having this in mind, let's come back to today's story, which is in the first century. Israel was not in Babylonian exile anymore. But the thing is, the Roman Empire was governing over them, which makes multiple commentators argue that the first century Jews still considered themselves in the middle of the exile, waiting for the Messiah. And the Messiah they waited for was the conquering king who would prevail over the Roman emperor and liberate Israel. So, this Messiah that they were waiting for shouldn't be handed over to the Roman soldiers. He can't be arrested and he certainly can't die. But what Jesus is saying here is I'm the Messiah, and everything that you think shouldn't happen to me will happen to me. How depressing. So what I'm arguing here is that there was a significant difference between the Messiah Jesus claimed himself to be and the Messiah that the Jews waited for, the Messiah that they expected Jesus to be. So William Barclay, he argues this, in face of Jesus' frequent warning of what was to happen to him in Jerusalem, we sometimes wonder why when the cross came, it was such a shock and such a shattering blow to his disciples. The truth is that they simply couldn't take in what he was saying to them. They were obsessed with the idea of a conquering king. They still clung to that hope that he would let loose his power in Jerusalem and blast his enemies off the face of the earth. So on the one hand, we have the Messiah as a conquering king. On the other hand, we have the Messiah as the suffering king. So what Jesus is doing here in this story is actually more than foretelling his death. He's rather bringing a whole new picture of Messiah, the suffering king who would bring salvation through his death and resurrection. Are you with me? Amazing. Now, having this theme in mind, let's move on to the next page, next passage. It's Luke 18, verses 35 through 43. 35 through 43. Let me read it for you. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they all praised God. This is the word of the Lord. Now, to tell you the conclusion first about this story, This story is more than Jesus healing a man. Rather, Jesus is presenting what kind of Messiah he is. Let me explain. After foretelling his death, Jesus came near to this city called Jericho. Now, Jericho was quite populous and pretty wealthy, so it was probably one of the best places for the beggars to beg for money. It's safe to assume then that the blind beggar we see in today's story wasn't the only one begging here. And now, Jesus is near the city. The city is already populous, but it becomes even more crowded with those following him. I'm sure many of us would remember that glorious year of 2011 when Canucks made to the Stanley Cup Finals. Any hockey fans here? Yeah, way to go, let's go. were any of you at downtown at game seven? Oh man, it was so chaotic, believe me. Near Rogers Arena, the streets were blocked. Fans were watching the big screen, cheering for the players like, let's go, Castler, go Luongo. Now imagine you're standing in the middle of this. Would anyone pay attention to you? I don't think so. You know, I'm a K-pop fan. (laughs) I really enjoy listening to K-pop music. Sometimes, believe me, I enjoy singing it too. I sometimes go to Korean karaoke, sing K-pop music, dancing to that music. Oh man, I love it. Now imagine I'm doing that in the middle of downtown at game seven. (laughs) Would anyone give eye to me? I believe not because they're so into that big screen play, on the players. And I'm sure how, that's how the blind beggar felt like. There were lots more beggars around him, a crowd of people in front of him, and there's one superstar in the middle, and everyone's just paying attention to him. But let's see what happens in verse 36. It says, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David was another title for the Messiah. So we see the Messiah theme here again. The blind man knew that Jesus was the Messiah he longed for. But see how the crowd responds. Verse 39, it says, and those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. David Garland, a New Testament scholar says, those in the front of the pack mercilessly scold him to shut up. They reflect the widespread view that he's one of the expendables. Society has no place or need for such people. The words attempt to silence his Christ says to him, you do not matter to anyone and least of all to someone important like Jesus. It's pretty harsh. It was a common belief that blindness was a consequence of sin, meaning that the blind beggar was thought to be a sinner, cursed by God that he could no longer join God's community. That's why the people, the crowd, they shut him down so quickly because they thought God and his Messiah would not and should not have mercy on such sinners like him. They all expected Jesus to simply ignore him and head to Jerusalem and conquer the Roman Empire because that's what the Messiah was supposed to do. And it was in the middle, it, it, it was against this messianic hope that the blind beggar cried out again, Son of David, have mercy on me. And his cry was nothing less than saying, like, Jesus, I don't care what they say. You're not the kind of Messiah they say you are. I believe you're the Messiah who would have mercy on the broken like me. So we see two different pictures of the Messiah in conflict here. On the one hand, we have the Messiah who has no interest in showing mercy and simply goes his way to conquer Israel's enemy. That was how the crowd of people expected Jesus to be. On the other hand, we have the Messiah who came to show mercy to the helpless. That's how the blind beggar expected Jesus to be. Then which Jesus, which Messiah is correct Messiah? We'll see how Jesus responds to this in verse 40. It says, And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? I mean, Jesus, really, it's quite obvious he's blind, you know? But Jesus refuses to assume his answer. To Jesus, neither blind nor beggar was the man's identity. He was a man created in the image of God who needed his mercy. So James Edwards writes this. The blind man's need is obvious, of course, but for Jesus, the blind man is not a problem to be solved, but a person to be honored. He's not a blind man, but a person who is blind, a thou, not an it. Jesus' question honors him. So this is Jesus proclaiming what kind of Messiah he is. He's basically saying, I'm not the kind of Messiah you guys think I am. And he honors this blind man, which indicates he's the Messiah who cares for the lowliest. He works for the weary, and he's so ready to pour out his mercy upon the broken sinners. What do you want me to do for you? Now, if if you think about this question, you may think it's obvious for the blind man to ask for his sight. But maybe that's not necessarily true, because remember... He's a blind beggar. All he's been doing in his life was asking for coins. So it would have been easier for him to ask for money when Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you if the man didn't believe Jesus had the power to save. Can I say that again? If the man thought that Jesus was someone who was filled with mercy but without the power to heal, then the blind man would have asked for a large sum of money, not healing. But asking for healing means he believed Jesus to be the Messiah who is both merciful and powerful to restore him. Are you with me? So one commentator argues Jesus asking, what do you want me to do for you? Was actually asking, who do you believe that I am? Do you really believe that I'm the Messiah who came to save the world and restore the brokenness? Or do you simply believe that I'm a merciful guy having his pockets full of coins? And the blind guy responded with faith. And we see Jesus healing him. By healing Jesus admitted that he was the Messiah, not the conquering Messiah, but the Messiah who with mercy and power came to restore the broken world from the distortion of sin. So we keep seeing this theme repeatedly, what kind of Messiah Jesus is. He is the Messiah who came to proclaim goodness to the broken. However, the reality was, people were expecting him to be a different Messiah. So Jesus, by foretelling his death, And healing the blind man is overturning their messianic hope and is crying out, I am the suffering Messiah, a king who rules with mercy. I came to heal the broken world and conquer the work of sin through my death and resurrection. So will you let me heal you? Will you accept who I truly am instead of making me who you want me to be? He keeps restoring who he truly is in their hearts. Okay, that's great, then what does this have to do with this in 2024? Well, lots to say about this, but I just wanna share one that I think is most important. You ready for this? I am so ready for this. (laughs) All right, let's go. Here we go. This Messiah that Jesus claims himself to be is the merciful one who works for us. Let me say this again. Jesus Messiah is the one full of mercy Who works for us not that we work for him for some of us this might sound like a cliche but stay tuned because this is not going to end up as another cliche sermon for others who might think wait what i'm called as a servant i gotta work for him well you guys are so loyal and our church needs people like you but again stay tuned and see where the Holy Spirit leads you, because He might lead you to serve at middle school youth for the 5 p.m. service that's starting next week. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <clears throat> Except that I'm not kidding. We actually do need leaders, but that's not what I was gonna talk about. Sorry for the disruption. But anyways, let's come back to the question that Jesus asked. What do you want me to do for you? North Langley, I wanna argue with joy and excitement that this is a great reflection of what the gospel is. Because read the question carefully. What do you want me to do for you? Who's me here? Jesus. It's so easy to fall into misperception that Christianity is about us working for God. But baby, that's not true. Christianity is not about us. It's about what he did, what he does, and what he will do. When the blind beggar cried out, Jesus didn't ask, what can you do for me so I can approve of you? Or when Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man didn't respond like, Lord, teach me what you want me to do. But sometimes we believe that's what Christianity is about. Look at the blind man again. It was his first time meeting Jesus. He's done nothing for Jesus. He just came without anything to offer. But Jesus was willing to act first, asking, what do you want me to do for you? This is the gospel. This is what makes Christianity different. Greco-Roman religions in the first century taught humans were to serve the gods first, which would make them receive good things in return. Religions of the ancient Near East in the Old Testament time required their believers to make religious rituals to win divine approval. And I think it's also true in major religions today where their doctrines call people to live a certain way of life to earn something beneficial, whether that's post-mortem divine approval or some kind of mysterious forces of realities but what Christianity presents is so different. Listen to Tim Keller, he says, the gospel is good news, not good advice. The gospel is not primarily a way of life. It is not something we do, but something that has been done for us and something that we must respond to. The gospel is the good news that God has accomplished our salvation for us through Christ in order to bring us into a right relationship with him and eventually to destroy all the results of sin in the world. Religion tells you, do this or do that. But the gospel tells you, he did this and he will do that. Religion is you asking, God, what do you want me to do for you? But the gospel is at God asking, what do you want me to do for you? We see lots of people in today's story that follow Jesus in religious ways. And I think I think this can be very much what I am doing, what you are doing, what we are doing. So if you're new to Jesus, I really hope that God uses what is to be said here and give you healthy guidance. If you're already a Christian, I hope this could be an opportunity to deepen your faith. So listen. A lot of people these days are choosing to follow religions instead of the gospel. And some of the religions disguise themselves as Christianity, but they're not. A couple examples here. I said a lot of people in this story were holding onto a wrong, distorted picture of Messiah. One was the Messiah, the Messiah that they Waited for one of them the images of the Messiah was the one who would gratify their personal national desire, which was conquering Rome. So for this, they followed Jesus, they praised him. All they did looked so good and religious, but they were doing things to eventually manipulate Jesus to fulfill their own dream. And maybe we're like this as well one of the ideologies dominating North America today is humanism. Humanism, according to Merriam Webster, is a doctrine, attitude, or way of life centered on human interests or values. Now, humanism can bring many positive effects. However, some syncretize humanism with Christian teachings and come up with humanistic gospel, which puts us at the center of the gospel. And it teaches God can be appeased and even manipulated by religious works. When I was a kid, there was this girl I liked. If you're in middle school, you might know this story already, but don't spoil, please. So this girl and I, we went to the same church together. And one day, I don't know what was going on in my mind, but I was like, I'm going to ask her out this Sunday. A bold move. And starting from that day, without missing a day, I started to pray five times a day, kneeling down. You know, that typical posture of prayer? Somehow I believed that God would listen to me better if I had this posture during prayer. And I prayed so desperately, saying, Lord, please make her say yes. (laughs) And for some reason, I obeyed my parents so well during that time, thinking that God would see me and hear my prayer. So I did everything I could do as a kid to earn God's favor. Then Sunday came. I bought a rose bouquet. Oh, so romantic. Think about a seventh grader buying a rose bouquet. (laughs) And I went to her, and you know, this is so embarrassing, Um, but with one of my legs knelt down like this, (laughs) I'm like, hey, you know, I like you. Can you please be my girlfriend? Oh, man, that silence at that moment. That was the worst. But thankfully, she accepted the flower. And I'm like, yes, yes, it worked. God heard my prayer, see? And I was full of that religious pride. And a few hours later, my phone rings. It's a text from her saying, here, I just want us to remain as good friends. Yikes. Well, you don't have to pity me here because I learned a very valuable lesson that tulips work better than roses. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No. The lesson that I actually learned was that I was was trying to manipulate God by my religious works. And that's how the crowd, the first century Jews were like in this story. And maybe that's what some of us are like. In this story, the crowd, they had their own version of Messiah that they wanted to have who would gratify their national desire only if they could manipulate him with their religious works. And I'm saying, maybe, maybe we also have come here with our version of Messiah that we want to have who's there to gratify my humanistic desires only if I manipulate him with my religious deeds. Now, here's the second group. Jesus calls us to have a childlike faith, but this group holds a parent like faith. Think about a baby, so tender, delicate, and cute. And if you're a parent, it's gotta be you that work for them, not they work for you, right? So, parent like faith refers to those that feel like they gotta babysit Jesus. They see Messiah as a baby that constantly needs them to do things for him. See, verse 38, it says, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And listen, those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. You see what they're doing? They're like, Jesus, you stay here. I'll take care of him. And be like, don't come close to him. They put Jesus on a nice little bed and say, like, I'll work for you. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. But they're like, nope, you're not going to do that. I'm supposed to live for you, you know? Sometimes I find myself being like, Lord, you already gave me everything. You even died for me. So how can I still receive from you? So tell me, what do you want me to do for you? Maybe this is how you feel like, too, sometimes. I mean, living for God is good and biblical, but if that's all there is, maybe we're missing something. The first century Jews had their own versions of Messiah, so their faith in their Messiahs made them act in certain ways, whether that's babysitting Jesus or manipulating him with, with religious words? And could it be, I'm saying, could it be that we also have come here to look for Messiah as we want, who can be manipulated by my religious deeds to gratify my desires, or who only asks you to work for him so you can feel productive enough? If so, I wanna encourage you this morning to lay that down for a sec because I guarantee you, whoever you expect Jesus to be, it ain't better than the true Jesus in here. Because look, the gospel of Matthew, when it records the same story, adds one line that Luke doesn't. Matthew 20, verse 34, it says, and Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. In pity, in Greek is, which literally means your bowels are moved. Well, yeah, it's funny, but first century people really believed that it was in their intestines where their emotions lived. So Matthew, what Matthew is saying here is it's a strong language where Jesus felt his compassion gushing out from his deep inside because he couldn't hold his love for the blind man it wasn't the blind man's religious works it wasn't how holy he lived it wasn't how much how much money donated it was out of love that jesus saved him this is the gospel that he himself is enough to save you When saving you, all he needs is his love for you. And the good news, Northland, is that there is this overflowing love for you deep inside Jesus that his love never goes silent. He cannot not work for you. While we were still sinners, he became a man and died on the cross and rose from the dead to give you and me his eternal life. It is Jesus who works in his kingdom. So you don't have to invite him to your kingdom where you work for him. Let him invite you into his kingdom where he works for you by his death and resurrection. Just like when a baby cries, the parent goes and is ready to do whatever is needed to be done for the child. So let me ask you, which Messiah are you following? a Messiah who's there to gratify your desires that can be easily manipulated by religious works? Or are you following a Messiah who's there to make you keep doing things for him so you can feel alive? Or are you being a childlike follower who's so ready to receive his grace, to be healed, to be saved, to be forgiven and free from addictions, hurts, guilt, and sins? Yes, there are passages where God calls us to serve, but the serving that Jesus wants from us always comes from him serving us first. We're called to respond to his favor, not to take an initiative to earn his favor. So North Langley, Jesus is asking us this morning, what do you want me to do for you? Are you feeling guilty from your sins? Is any of you overwhelmed by addictions? Do you feel like you're broken within and without? If that's where you are, come and behold his mercy. Because look at the blind beggar in verse 41. He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. He could have asked for other things like money or bread, but he knew he needed something more than that. He knew Jesus wanted to give something greater than that. Now, what about us? Look at the God of mercy, so ready to receive you, having his arms wide open at the cross saying, my child, I even died for you to give you my everything. So tell me, what do you want me to do for you? What are we gonna say? Are we gonna say, Lord, I don't need anything, come on. Are we gonna say, Lord, give me success, give me prosperity? No, our Messiah is much greater than that. So ask for his life. Ask for his forgiveness. Ask for his freedom and healing. Ask for salvation, because he's the merciful one who is so ready to work for you. But here's a challenge. To receive from God, there needs to be want in us a desire, a desire for truth, a desire for healing, a desire for freedom, and above all, a desire for God who surpasses all the other desires we may have. Because sometimes, sometimes we gotta ask ourselves, do I actually wanna be healed? Do I actually wanna be free? Do I actually wanna see the truth? Because sometimes I'm not sure I want healing, If I'm honest, I'm comfortable being stuck. I can be comfortable with with lust, with greed, with pride, with my religious works and just feel like I'm being a good Christian. I can be comfortable with my Messiah who's there to gratify my desires only if I manipulate him with my religious works. I can also be comfortable with my Messiah who's just there as a baby so I need to keep doing something so I can feel productive and alive. I say I want to be healed, but do I actually want healing or am I being complacent? Ask yourselves the same question. And I want you, I want to invite you to open yourself up to Jesus for a deep, deep encounter this morning. The one who pours out mercy for you, even to the point of shedding his blood. The one who did for you what a God cannot and should not do, namely death saying, my child, you need me in your life. I want to heal you. I want to save you. I want to give you freedom. So will you let me do things in your life? So this morning, I just want you to know and invite you to our prayer team. Our prayer team is going to be here at the front or back in the room. And if you need his healing, his comfort, forgiveness, freedom, and salvation, Um, we would love to pray with you. Also, if you're wanting to see the truth like the blind beggar did, like, God, I want to find the truth. I want to search for the purpose of my life. Then I want to invite you to our Alpha program. As Matthew said, it's where we gather together, eat together, and discuss important questions we may have like, who is Jesus? What's the meaning of life? And for the rest of us, I just want us to ponder on the gospel again that the Messiah we have is not so small that he's there only to gratify our humanistic desires. He's not so weak that he needs to be babysat by us. Rather, he's a Messiah of mercy and power who's having his arms wide open at the cross, saying, come my children, come with bare feet and bare hands. you don't have to do anything because he's done everything already. Just take it. Just receive it with joy. Let him take care and you just stay on his side. That's the beauty of the gospel. The number on the back screen is kind of making me feel nervous because I think I'm over time, but I just have one last story to share with you. So please bear with me. Last year, I was pretty sick for a very long time. I had this unexplainable headache for months, which made me go to ER four times in the first four weeks. I had two CT scans, and still the doctors weren't clear about the diagnosis, so I I had to go to Korea to get an MRI, MRA, and other checkups done. Not because I don't trust Canadian medical system, I myself am a Canadian citizen, but because things are way faster in Korea. So anyways, <clears throat> oh, by the way, F.I.I. Uh, all the results were clean. I'm all good. Thanks be to God that he healed me. But anyways, while I was sick, I would say it was the most difficult time of my life. And it was in the middle of this period when we had a middle school summer retreat. And I'd say this was my first year when I couldn't pour out 100% of my energy for the retreat. Because during the retreat, I sometimes had to go into my room and just lie down because I couldn't hold the pain. It was deeply frustrating because I had prayed for the retreat for months. Like, God, please open up the hearts of our students and meet them. There is only one thing I want, that they get to know you. And here I am. Use me. I'm so ready to do everything to make your work happen. That was my passion. But here I was not being able to do anything. And I think this was the moment when God came to me and asked me, Eric, what I'm asking you is not what you can do for this retreat. I'm asking, what do you want me to do for this retreat? Lord, please meet them, I prayed. After the retreat, I felt like the retreat went a total failure because I couldn't do anything. I was sick, I was spiritually poor, but guess what? It is God who works for his kingdom and he proved himself to me as a lot of students came and told me that they personally encountered God at the retreat and some of them actually got baptized last year and they they shared in their baptism videos that they decided to get baptized because of the God that they met at the retreat. God started to shape their lives into the apprenticeship of Jesus and all we did was receive it. This is the beauty of the gospel, that he works for his goodness, healing, and salvation, even when we're weak and undeserving. Sometimes his goodness looks different than our goodness, but his goodness surpasses all our expectations. So North Langley, I want to invite you. Do you feel like the blind beggar without hope, nothing to offer to God like I felt? Welcome to the gospel. Do you feel so weary and burdened with all the religious works? Welcome to the gospel. Are you broken within and without needing God's mercy? Welcome to the gospel. Can we pray? Jesus, yes, you are so merciful. You are so powerful that you even gave up your own life at the cross to give us new life. That's who you are. That's what kind of Messiah you are. You love us so much that you cannot not work for us. You are so powerful that you can heal all our sins, all our guilts, you can take all our addictions and hurts away and give you your peace and joy. You are that powerful. You are that merciful. So God, we invite you into our lives this morning. May you come and ask us, what do you want me to do for you? And give us faith and courage to be able to lay down all the problems that we may have before your feet and simply walk with you in freedom, in joy, and in your kingdom, God. We love you so much. We thank you. We worship you in your name. Amen.